We have a brand new year in front of us. So how do we get it started right? Well, let's talk about that next on Graceful Truth. Join us. And again, greetings. Welcome. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. So how do we get the year started off right? Well, the psalmist has a great way to get things rolling, and it's right here in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. The way of the righteous. That's how we start out the new year. Let's take a look at it together, shall we? Again, from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, we would invite you to join us as we examine Psalm 1. A truly blessed and happy life is possible if we'll follow the ways of the Lord. With more, our teacher and pastor, Pastor Steve Converse, with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Uh, this morning, I, I just wanted to start a uh, uh, little mini-series. Usually we teach through books of the Bible here. We don't do a whole lot of topical stuff, but I, I thought we'd do a little uh, kind of a mini-series calling Make Your Mark, and, and I think that part of the reason behind this is that sometimes we grow comfortable in our faith, sometimes we grow lackadaisical in the world in which we live. I just wanted to kind of pray about this coming year, start off on a positive note so how to get a right start, how to get started right in 2016. There's a lot of things that are not going to be the same in 2017 even. Technology and world events and all sorts of things will change. But the Word of God stands forever. Matthew 24:35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the foundation upon which our church is built, Grace Bible Church, right? I love that name. Well, turn over to Psalm, first Psalm, Psalm 1, and I want us to kind of go through this Psalm. This is probably commonplace for a lot of you, and this isn't something that's new truth or anything like that, but like I said, sometimes when we talk about making our mark, we need to be reminded of certain things. And this little series that I'm putting together, three or four weeks, will be basically focused on how to live your life in such a way that you at least hopefully leave some form of legacy when you're no longer here. Um, Hopefully that won't be for a long time. But, you know, I'm reminded of what Steve Jobs used to say when he was alive leading Apple. He often used this phrase, let's make a dent in the universe. And if you know anything about Apple, they definitely have made a dent (laughs) in our world today. And we're going to be talking about the same things in the coming weeks, how we can make a dent in this society in which we live, how we can live a life today in 2016 that will leave a mark for the world around us. And it will focus basically in the coming weeks on different purposes and intentions, mainly drawn out of the book of Acts. But this morning, I thought we would start First of all, with some questions. And the first question is basically this. If you could sum up your life to this point in a single sentence, how would you do it? If you had to summarize your life up to this point in time, how would you do it? It's a good exercise to go through. You might be thinking, you know, I've always looked out for myself. 
I've dotted every I, crossed every T. Maybe you have a tendency to do things the easy way. Whatever. How would you summarize your life up to this point? Question number two, how would those closest to you summarize your life up to this point? Probably it'd be a little different (laughs) than what we summarize our life to be, right? Hopefully it's not that much different. But how do they do that? When, When you talk to your friends, how would they summarize your life? Or thirdly, the third question, how would you want your life to be summarized if you had the opportunity? Not only by yourself and not only by others, but most importantly, by God himself. What would you want him to say about your life up to this point? See, when you, when you come to these questions, the thoughts and deeds and motives that are in our hearts, the intentions, the accomplishments, they're all put on the scale. What would you like the preponderance of the evidence to suggest that your life is about? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. When Jesus walked on earth among us, he told us what his life was about several times. One place in Luke 19.10, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save, what? That which is lost. And then secondly, in John 10.10, he says, I have come that they might have life and have it, what? More abundantly, have it to the full. He also said in several places he came not to be served, but to what? To serve. See, that's what the life of Jesus was about. He came to seek out and to save those lives that have been wrecked by sin. He came to fill those lives with meaning and purpose, fullness, abundant life. And really, when you stop and think about it, that's why we're here today. That's why this room is filled with people who, as we sang, once were lost, but now were found. Once we were sinking deep in our sin, but have since been saved from the treacherous waves and have been lifted to life by his love, by his sacrifice. See, that's what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. That's why we're here today. Now, if you don't understand that yet, if you haven't yet had that experience with the Lord, if you have yet to understand that he can and will save you, If you still feel like you're wandering around in the darkness and sinking deep in sin, I want you to know that today Jesus can make a difference in your life. He can change you. He can transform you. He can make your life into what he desires it to be. I pray that if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that today might be the day that he makes that difference. But when you think about summarizing your life up to this point, I mean, we don't have to raise our hands, but who would like to be blessed by God in 2016? I think most of us, right? Most of us look forward to a new year, a clean slate. Wow, Lord, what awaits us in 2017? And all of us would feel that way, that we would enjoy being blessed by God, that the favor of God would be upon us all year long. Now, that's not some prosperity gospel. That's not some... Name it and claim it. I'm not talking about that. But it's a wonderful thought to have. I don't think anyone, especially a Christian, should wake up and say, you know what, I just want to be miserable today. Don't bless me, God. I want to be miserable all year long. I can't imagine someone saying that in their right mind. We all want to be blessed. We all want to be happy. We all want to find that fulfillment that the Lord promises in what we do every day. Well, you know what? Psalm 1 tells us how we can continually, continually be blessed each and every day. In just short 
six verses here, we really unveil the secret that God has for us as a way of blessing. This isn't talking about New Year's resolutions. I don't know about you, but I've been there, done that. That doesn't work. You can resolve all you want. And every January, most of us make some form of commitment to the new year. Some things, a list, something we want to change for the new year. Maybe it's a budget. Maybe it's calories. Maybe it's family, relations, whatever it might be. And usually by February or March, (laughs) we're looking at that list going, I blew it again. And if you're like me, it's like, why you just throw it out? Say, I just got to wait till 2017. I don't like to start things halfway. So it's easier just to quit and start over. But see, the blessing here in Psalm 1 goes much deeper than that. And I just want to read it for us. And you can follow along in your Bibles. Psalm 1, beginning in verse 1. Blessed, or that word can also be translated happy. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. Well, the wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will Perish. The way of the wicked will perish. When Psalm 1 starts off, blessed is the man or happy is the man, this is God's prescription for us for happiness. There's a lot of people looking for happiness today. And when you study this psalm, when you begin to uncover it and discover what's in it, you realize that blessedness relates to the way that we live and also the choices we make. This isn't just something that just kind of happens to you magically. It depends on the kind of person you are. From God's point of view, there are only two ways. We see that in this psalm. There's only two ways to live. There's only two kinds of people in the world. And only two kinds. Today in our relativistic society, we we like to blur the lines and, you know, have a lot of gray area. Well, God doesn't do that. He says, basically, there are those who are righteous and there are those who are what? Wicked. (laughs) That sounds like a strong term, but that's what the Bible says. Everyone in the world, beloved, falls into one of those categories. Either you are righteous or you are wicked. There's no in between. You can't be half of one and half of the other. And Psalm 1 shows us the righteous, how they live. And why they are blessed or why they are happy. But it also shows the end result of the wicked as well. So if you want to live a blessed life in 2016, I think we need to tune our ears to God's word. Well, the first thing he says here in verses 1 through 3, he summarizes the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous. And you can kind of look at those verses. We've already read them. But the first thing I see here for us is the truly blessed and happy life is possible. Don't buy into all the negative, you know, stuff going on in the world to think that, well, you know, somebody's just going to blow this world up and oh, I just hope it ends soon. No, you know what? You can live a happy and a blessed life. It's possible. 
When verse 1 begins there with that Hebrew phrase, it begins something like, Oh, blessed is the man, or happy is the man. How happy is the man who? And then he kind of fills in the blanks. In biblical terms, to be blessed means to be rightly related to God so that your life is fulfilled and your experience, you experience deep personal satisfaction. It's important to know that this sort of happiness, this sort of blessedness is not related to our circumstances. A lot of people today going through hard times. A lot of people today dealing with major things on their shoulders. A lot of burdens that we're carrying. That's not where you're going to get your blessedness. That's not where you're going to get your happiness. It's not related to our circumstances. And it doesn't come simply by seeking it. You don't just make a decision one day, I think I'm just going to be happy. I just got to seek happiness. No, you find happiness not by seeking it, but by doing certain things that God prescribes for us to do in his word and by not doing other things that he tells us not to do. So the blessing that Psalm 1 is talking about really comes as a side benefit as a result of the choices that we're making. The wise man said that happiness, a wise man said this, happiness is like a cat. I don't care for cats. I'm allergic to them, but I'll use this illustration anyway. Happiness is like a cat. Seek it and it will run from you. But go about your business steadily day after day and soon it comes and curls up at your feet. Isn't that true? Have you ever had a cat? I think some of the most miserable people on New Year's Eve are those who are seeking happiness from simply some party or some celebration or some goal. It can't be found that way, beloved. Many people doubt we can ever find happiness in this world. You talk to some people, they've lost even the desire for happiness. When you look at our nation, you look at what's going on politically, you look at what's going on militarily, socioeconomic situation, everything. There's not a lot of happiness. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of sadness. But you know what? No one knows what the future holds. I mean, we live in a day and age when you get on a plane, you're watching the people that sit next to you. You're watching the person that sits behind you. You're watching the person with that backpack in the mall. That's the day and age we live in. There's a reason why on New Year's Eve in Times Square they had 7,000 cops or whatever they had there. Sniffing dogs and nuclear detection systems. There's a reason why that is going on. Because something has gone badly wrong in the world and no one really knows quite what to do about it. But Psalm 1 assures us That it's possible to live a blessed, to live a happy life. But it promises that only on God's terms. Only on God's terms. The world will offer you entertainment. The world will offer you cheap thrills, momentary pleasure. But true happiness, true blessedness, authentic joy, and true peace can only be found in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Secondly, blessedness begins with the negative, not the positive. (laughs) It begins with the negative. Psalm 1 surprises many people because it begins not with some positive statement, but with the negative. The blessing begins with what the righteous person does not do. It says there, he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of the scoffers. Look at that progression with me. Walking, standing, sitting. I see that progression every time we go to the mall. Men, you know what I'm talking about. You're walking down the mall with your wife. All of a sudden, she's not by your side anymore. You turn around, where is she? She's standing in front of a storefront. 
looking at a pair of shoes. And you're going, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just looking at these shoes. Okay. Well, come here, look at them. Okay. Pretty soon you're inside the store and you're standing there. Pretty soon before you know it, she's sitting down and the shoe guy's out there and they're trying them on and you're going, what just happened? There's a progression there. See, it's the same way with sin. First, the man is walking down the road. Then he stops to hang out with sinners. Maybe even thinking he's doing the right thing. Eventually, then, they prove to be such good company that he sits down. And pretty soon, he's having intimate fellowship with them. Before he even knows what happened. What started as a casual contact, contact in the end, ends up becoming this declaration of personal allegiance. When we look at the counsel of the wicked in the Bible, it means the advice of the morally unstable. Where are you seeking your advice? Where are you seeking your counsel? Are you seeking it from somebody because they got a bunch of degrees after their name? They have a doctorate degree and whatever. Be careful. I would not take the counsel of anybody, especially if I knew them to be an unbeliever. Especially when it came to things of matter of life and purpose. Be careful where you're getting your counsel from. See, that's why as a church we really embrace biblical counseling. You say, well, what's the difference? There's a big difference between biblical counseling and Christian counseling and secular counseling. If I could paint a picture for you, you have this platform. Just look at it as counseling. Over here you have what we would call secular psychiatrists and psychology and and the people that believe in all the, the, the worldly views as far as counseling goes. That's secular counseling. That's the person you pay and you go and lay on the couch and you unload on them for an hour and they're, okay, time's up, come back next week. Nothing was resolved, nothing, nothing. All right, that's, that's secular counseling. Well, then you have on this side of the stage, you have what you call basically Christian counseling, which is in the middle here. And then you have biblical counseling on the other extreme. And biblical counseling says, you know what? We're not going to buy into all the cycle babble. We're going to buy into what God's word says. We're going to buy into what God has for us and the purpose that he outlines in scripture. We're going to embrace the Bible as our source of truth. That's what a biblical counselor would do. You go to a biblical counselor, they would say, okay, what's going on? And you would tell them and they would turn to a verse in the Bible and say, well, here's what the Bible says about your situation. A Christian counselor, beloved, is anywhere in between that. They could be close to a biblical counselor, but they could also be very, very secular. I know a lot of Christian counselors, they call themselves Christian counselors because they're a Christian. But they buy into all the secular stuff. So when you go to them for Christian counseling, what are you getting? You're getting psychobabble filtered through maybe a verse here and there. Big difference. Where are you getting your counseling from? You want to be careful. Well, the way of sinners, it says there, the way of sinners, that involves kind of a series of lifestyle choices. You're kind of going down a road. You're embracing certain things. And then eventually, they're sitting with those who mock. It literally means to have a close, intimate, long-term fellowship with those who are rejecting the Lord. And so you hear the, see the progression, thinking, pretty soon it's behaving, and then pretty soon you belong to this group before you even know what went on. See, worldly wisdom leads to worldly action, which results in worldly fellowship. There's a, there's a reason why the Bible calls us a peculiar people as believers. There's a reason why the Bible says, you know what? You don't fit in this world because we don't. And we have to be careful, even as a church, that we're not trying too hard 
to be, quote, liked by the world. I have no desire to be liked by the world. I have no desire to embrace worldly philosophy and business-like thinking when it comes to even running a, a, a fellowship or a church. God has given us his world, word. He's given us an example of how to do it. Let's just stick to what he says and we'll be safe. Blessings come not only from what we do, but also from what we don't do. Blessed people avoid certain things. They avoid certain people. They avoid certain situations. They don't just hang out anywhere. And they don't quickly buy into every line of thinking. They're often very careful not to join themselves to the company of those who do not love the Lord. See, this is a a much needed word for our hearts as we begin this new year. Because if you decide to seek God in 2016 like you've never sought him before, I guarantee you that the devil will oppose you at every turn. Because that's not what he wants. One of his strategies is basically to surround you with people who will lead you astray. Lead you down the wrong path. The tricky part is those people don't seem to be bad people. (laughs) They're your neighbors, they're your friends, maybe even your family members. They're nice enough, they seem decent enough. They're just not godly people, that's all. They don't share your personal faith in Christ. I mean, it's not like these people wear a t-shirt that says, hey, I'm working for the devil. Let's all go to hell together. You know, that's not their mentality. Sin never stands still. What do I mean by that? Sin never stands still. It always moves to control us. It always moves to control us. What starts as a casual contact leads on to an increasing closeness. And then all of a sudden there's a permanent association there. Eventually there's an increasing boldness of evil accompanied by a lowering of our own inhibitions. Pretty soon we're laughing at jokes that one, one time we would seem be crude. We compromise our values in ways we would never have thought possible. We even consent to things that would have greatly troubled us in the past. See, we need to wake up. We need to be reminded that God calls us to be holy as he is holy. Now, lest I be misunderstood, I'll just be real clear here. My brother used to, Tom used to have a pig farm. And he said this one time. He said, if you sleep with the pigs, you eat with the pigs, you run with the pigs, you hang out with the pigs, you talk like the pigs, you walk like the pigs, you laugh like the pigs, and dress like the pigs. In short, if you basically do what pigs do, you shouldn't be surprised that you end up smelling like pigs, sounding like pigs, and looking like pigs. In the end, you're going to be indistinguishable from the pigs. You're going to become like the people around you. That seems kind of crude, maybe. But this is true whether they're good people or whether they're evil people. Now, I can hear the objection rising up in your heart even as I said that. How are we going to reach out to the lost if we don't spend time with them, Steve? Are you saying we should just isolate ourselves, us four, no more, bar the door, have a little holy huddle? No. The answer goes like this. You don't win the lost by living like the lost. You win the lost by loving the lost and what? Living like the saved. That's so important to understand. If you adopt the lifestyle of those who don't know the Lord, why would they want to have what you have? If your life is just the same as theirs, except you tag Jesus on your forehead, what's the difference? We have to remind ourselves of that biblical term in the world, but not what? Of the world. That needs to be ringing in our ears as we embrace this new year. We're called to live among the lost. We're called to love them. We're called to befriend them. We're called to care for them. But at the same time, we're called to live an entirely different life by an entirely different value system. 
And see, that powerful combination of truth backed up by love, that's an irresistible force in the world. You don't reach people by lowering our standards or compromising our values or compromising the Word of God. Somebody said this, it's a good thing when the boat is in the water. It's a bad thing when the water is in the boat. We got too much water in our boats today in churches. We need to make sure that we draw that line clearly in the sand. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.